Wonderful. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles. Mark chapter number eight. Mark chapter number eight. That's one of my favorite songs. I will quickly become one of my favorite songs, but uh, well, just want to say I love him this morning. And I hope you do as well. Let's take our Bibles. Mark chapter number eight this morning. We'll be in verses one through nine as we're still considering the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. And as we look at another miracle, I again need to remind you. One of the main purposes behind the miracles of Christ. Now, I know you know this by now. If you've been coming for the past four months, all right? Uh, so we've been looking at the miracles of Christ for at least that long. But I know you know this. But be reminded why the miracles of Christ are there. One of the main purposes behind them. One of the main purposes is not just for a show as Herod wanted to see. King Herod wanted to see a magic show, all right? Basically what he wanted to see in Luke 23. That's not the main purpose. It wasn't the main purpose to draw some following after Christ, though many people did follow Jesus, all right? But that wasn't the main purpose. The main purpose even wasn't just to help people, though Jesus helped thousands. The main purpose wasn't just to show the mighty power of Jesus Christ, though each one proves there's nothing too hard for the Lord. But the main purpose behind the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ is for this purpose, to show to you and I today, to prove to you and I today that Jesus is the Son of God. To prove to you and I that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God come in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Each miracle proves this point. Here's even what John said in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. These miracles, these signs, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life through his name. So this is why Jesus did all these miracles to prove and to show that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And seeing this fact and understanding this truth should cause you and I to believe on Jesus as our Savior and have life through his name. Let the church say amen right there, all right? So allow these miracles to draw you to Jesus. Allow these miracles to bring you closer to Christ, even this one this morning, all right? So again, we'll be in Mark chapter number 8, and we're going to look at the feeding of the 4,000 this morning. Now, you'll also find this same miracle recorded for us in Matthew chapter 15, verse 32 through 39, if you want to mark that at the side of your Bible, in the margin of your Bible, beside Mark chapter number 8. But mainly for today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Look at it with me this morning. The Bible says, In those days the multitude being very great, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they now have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers, that means some, divers of them come from far. There's many people that came from great distances to be with Jesus and to hear his preaching and to see and have even miracles performed upon them, all right? So there's a multitude of people here. Get that. Verse number four. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. He commanded the people to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes and he blessed 
and commanded to sit them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. They took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away. So Jesus pre prepares a big old buffet of fried catfish and cornbread. Amen. All right. But this is the feeding of the 4,000. Now, I know you know this. I know you understand this. I know you know that there's people out there today who do not like the Bible. You, you know that, right? There are people who actually do hate the truth. They actually hate Jesus. They do not want the light. They may want to do this. They want to turn you away from the Bible. They want to turn you away from Jesus Christ. And one of the ways they do this and try to turn you away from the Bible and ultimately away from Jesus is this. They try to twist the scriptures. Hang on with me. I'm going somewhere. All right. They try to twist the scriptures. Here's what Peter said about that in 2 Peter 3.16. As also in all his epistles, he's speaking of Paul's epistles, speaking of them of these things, and which are some hard things to be understood, which we'd all agree some, some of the things Paul wrote uh, are a little bit harder sometimes to understand. But here's what Peter said about that. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. That word rest mean, there, W-R-E-S-T, means to twist. Understand there's people out there today that try to twist the scripture. They try to take things out of context. They try to find, listen, contradictions in the Bible, again, to try to railroad your faith in the word of God and in God himself. And there are some who try to use this miracle this morning. We just read. They try to use this miracle we're going to look at as a contradiction in the Bible because many people try to confuse the feeding of the 4,000 with the feeding of the 5,000. But I want you to know something this morning by way of introduction that this miracle we just read is a completely different miracle than the feeding of the 5,000. They're two separate events in history. Take note real quick of the differences. The feeding of the 5,000 is recorded for us in all four gospel records whereas the feeding of the 4,000 is only recorded for us in Mark and in Matthew. The feeding of the 5,000 took place in the area of Galilee and would have primarily involved Jewish individuals. But here, the feeding of the 4,000 took place in the area of Decapolis and would have involved primarily Gentile people. Now, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus started with five loaves and two fish. But here, in this text, the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus had seven loaves, and the Bible says a few fish. The feeding of the 5,000, those that had been with him were only with the Lord for about a day. But here we just read in the feeding of the 4,000, they had been with Jesus, this multitude had been with Christ for three days. In the feeding of the 5,000, there were 12 baskets of leftovers when all set, was said and done. But here in our text we see of the feeding of the 4,000, there was only seven baskets full when all said and done. Even Jesus, understand something, even Jesus makes a very much a plain distinction between these two miracles when Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 9 through 10. Jesus speaking, Do you not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many baskets ye took up? Look, even Jesus makes a clear distinction between these two miracles. So understand, they're two different events. 
They're two different events. So don't get them confused. And don't let those who are bent on trying to discredit the Bible, trying to discredit God and destroy your faith in God, don't let them use their textual juggling and their textual gymnastics and really their flat-out lazy lies derail you from the Word of God. Let, <clears throat> let man be a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. All right? Romans chapter 3 and verse number 4. So understand this morning, God's word is true. There is no contradiction, and this is not one of them, all right? This is a different, total different event in Scripture. I just wanted to get that out of the way in case you were wondering, all right? And so please know it's a different event, different miracle in the word of God, and let's see what God has for us from this text this morning. And as I read it, and as I've been studying this text, I found several, I found several encouragements that encouraged me, and I hope they'll encourage you this morning, I need to find a couple of discouragements as well. But of course, the encouragements come from Jesus himself, and the discouragements come when you look at man, and the man in this text is, is the disciples. So folks, keep your eyes on Jesus if you want to be encouraged, all right? That's what David had to do time and time again, had to encourage himself in the Lord, because if he kept his eyes on man, <laughs> you're going to stay depressed and stay discouraged, all right? So keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's see some encouragements from this text this morning. The first one I see is this one. Take note, all right? Take note of the encouragement of Jesus' compassion. The encouragement of Jesus' compassion. Now, I know we just hit on this even last time. Last Sunday, as we looked at that, at that miracle there of the deaf and dumb man being healed. But again, be reminded, we see the compassion of Christ in this miracle. And really, we see the compassion of Christ in each miracle. But when Jesus here is repeating himself, he's not repeating, or really a characteristic of Jesus, he's not repeating because he forgot what he did, or he forgot who he is, or he forgot what he does. No, he repeats himself so we don't forget, all right? So we don't forget his characteristics, so we don't forget who he is, so we don't forget what he does and can do. Listen, he repeats himself for an emphasis, and I believe the emphasis that the Lord is trying to make here as it's this miracle and see the word when he says, I have compassion, making an emphasis yet again that we have a compassionate Savior. So each time you come to a miracle, be reminded. Let the miracles remind you that your great God is God of compassion. Your Savior, the Lord Jesus, is a God of compassion. He said again in verse number two, I have compassion on the multitude. But what is compassion again? What is it? What does it mean? It means this. It is awareness of suffering with the desire to relieve it. And Jesus, being full of compassion, is very aware of suffering, very aware of need, and he has a great desire to relieve it. And by the way, he does. He does because his compassion moves him into action. You can see that time and time again in the word of God. When Jesus had compassion, it moved him into Action. You can see that in Matthew 14, 14. Let me read this one real quick to you. As the Bible says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick. Again, he did the same thing in Mark chapter 1, verse 41. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand, touched him, and said to him, I will be thou clean. Understand, when we have a compassionate Savior, that moves him into action. He is a God of compassion. Psalm 86, 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. 
So as we hit this first point very quickly, I just want to remind you again of this great truth that Jesus is full of compassion. Not just in the first century, but now as well in the 21st century too. We serve a God of compassion. Never forgive it, never forget it, and never get over it, all right? Okay, so number one, take this encouragement again. We have a God of compassion, all right? Take this encouragement as well as we see that from this text. Take this encouragement, encouragement number two, of Jesus' knowledge. Of Jesus' knowledge. Now, what do you mean by that, preacher? What do you mean by his knowledge? Well, I simply mean this. Jesus knows. And you say, well, well Jesus, Jesus knows. Well, what does he know, preacher? Here's the answer. Yes. All right? Everything. He knows everything. He, let me ask you a question. Do you believe, do you think that Jesus knew these folks were hungry? I mean, after three days, surely, these 4,000 stomachs will begin to sing in unison, and that song could not be denied. It'd be hard to miss, no doubt, all right? It's kind of like when your stomach's getting in unison around noon and uh, lets me know it's about time to quit so you guys go eat, all right? Uh, but no doubt he knew this. No doubt he knew they were hungry. He, do you, but do you believe he knew their need, yes or no? Yes, of course he did. Of course he did. But he also knew if he sent them away, they would faint in the way. And the word here, faint, means this. It means they would dissolve by exhaustion, meaning they would be more than likely, as they're on the way back home, they would pass out, pass out from exhaustion and then die on their journey back home. Maybe the disciples didn't know this, but Jesus did. Why? Because he knows. And he knows our needs, especially in the text. That's what he's getting at. He knows our needs. He knows what we're facing. He knows what we need the most. I want, to, want you to take encouragement today and this morning. Understand that Jesus knows. Now, other people around you, even family that's closest to you, may not know your greatest need. They may not know what you're going through, may not know what you are facing, maybe because you're very good at hiding it. Maybe because you're very good at suffering in silence. Maybe because you're very good at putting on a front on the outside, but on the inside you're crumbling to dust. And no one else knows this, but I want you to know something. Jesus does. No one else may know what you're going through, but Jesus does. He knows. He knows what you're facing. He knows your struggles. He knows your heartache. He knows your pain. He knows your doubt. He knows your confusion. He knows your questions, your discouragement. He knows your greatest need, even at this very moment, as you're sitting in this pew and listening to the sound of my voice. He knows your greatest need. Why? He's an all-knowing God. He's an omniscient God. He knows. And listen, he wants to meet you right where you are and help you in that need that you have in that struggle that you have. He wants to help you right where you are and get you through those difficult times. He can meet you in your needs. Listen, Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 8, here's what the Bible says, Jesus speaking. For your Father knoweth what things you have need of before ye ask him. I love that verse. I'm thankful that he knows the need before you even ask him. He knows the need before I even know the need, all right? I'm thankful for that. And we have a God who can meet him. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So understand something. As you read this miracle today, Jesus knew what they needed. And by the way, he knows what you need as well. And he can meet your needs. Listen. 
He can meet your needs. He promised to meet your needs. Never promised to meet our greeds. Difference, all right? But he promised to meet your needs. He can help you. He can help you. So take, take encouragement this morning that, look, we have a God of compassion. Take encouragement this morning of knowing that God knows. Take encouragement from God's knowledge. And then I want to see this this morning, all right? I got about six points. We're going to march through them pretty quickly, okay? But take notice of this this morning, number three. Not an encouragement, but rather I want to take note of a discouragement. Of a discouragement. Now, where do you see this at, preacher? All right. Well, as I look at this miracle here in Mark chapter 8 and take note of the other miracles that these disciples have been part of, that these disciples have experienced, one would think, one would think that at this moment here in Mark 8, that these guys will be full of faith, that they would be singing this song, my God is so great, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Yeah, you know it good. Now, especially being a choir, choir practice five o'clock this evening, all right? Just kidding, we have church this evening, but anyway. But I expect to be a choir next time. But you would think they'd be singing something like that. You would think their faith would be absolutely full. You would think they would, right? But notice their question here. The disciples asked the Lord. Look at verse number four. And his disciples answered him from whence or where can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Lord, we know their need. You see their need. And, but how are we going to meet it? We only got a little bread here. How is this going to happen? Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this question, it seems to me that their response here to the Lord, they're responding to this problem and this need in unbelief. It seems they're responding to this problem in doubt and in faithlessness. But the question is this, at least one I have, how do you get to this point? How do these men who've been walking with the Lord for a number of months and even years now at this point, how do they get to this point in their life of walking with Jesus that they question, well, how's God going to meet this need? Question, well, how's the Lord going to do this? Question, well, Lord, it's just a little bit of bread. How, how are they going to feed all these people? Get to this point of acting in unbelief. Well, here it is. Here's how they get to this point, all right? By forgetting what God has done in the past. That's how. That's how. By forgetting. It would seem these guys came to this problem, this new need of no food, but forgot what the Lord had done in the past. Forgot about God, the Lord Jesus, feeding the 5,000. Because again, this is a very similar need as before in the feeding of the 5,000. And if God came through then, surely he can do it again. But look, it seems to me at least that they forgot about the feeding of the 5,000 when this new need of the feeding of the 4,000 arose. And by the way, it seemed to happen often with these guys, especially as they found themselves in a new circumstance that was rough, tough, scary, or a new need. It seems that they'd forgotten what God had did in the previous miracles and mighty works in the past. Even right after the first feeding, the feeding of the 5,000, they quickly forgot as they faced a new trouble of life. Let me read it to you. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 45 through 51, this is the next event immediately following the feeding of the 5,000. Here's what the disciples went through. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before in the Bethsaida while he sent away the people. 
And when he sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when he saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. Meaning they were scared to death, crying out for fear. All right, For they all saw him. And were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto me of good cheer, It is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto the, into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed at themselves beyond measure and wondered. So no doubt this, this, te- this storm was a terrifying storm. No doubt they were scared to death. Maybe they thought they even would die. But after Jesus came into the boat and the storm ceased, the Bible says they were sore amazed and beyond measure and wondered. Here's what they were doing when Jesus got in the boat and the storm stopped. Here's what they were doing. You listening? Or watching, rather? Here's what they were doing. Huh. What? Oh, Peter! Did you see that? Oh, my goodness. John! They were beyond wonder, right? Amazement. They were speechless. They were speechless. They couldn't believe what Jesus had just done. They couldn't couldn't believe what they had just seen. But listen, they should have because of what they had just previously seen. Of the feeding of the 5,000 on the hillside. But here's why, listen, saying all that to say this, here's why they couldn't believe what they just saw. The Bible says this in Mark chapter 6 and verse 52. For they, the disciples, considered not the miracle of, of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Here's why they couldn't believe what they just saw. Here's why they couldn't believe it. They were shocked to death because they forgot what Jesus had just previously done. And by the way, these two events of the feeding of the 5,000 and the event of this storm was somewhere in the air just nine hours apart. Nine hours apart. But they couldn't believe it. Why? Because they forgot. So look, forgetting what... A, Forgetting about what the Lord has done in the past, understand something, can stifle your faith in the Lord in the present circumstance of life. If you forget what he's done for you in the past, it'll stifle your faith in the present. Don't forget. Don't forget. This is why Joshua made such a big deal to the children of Israel about remembering the mighty works of God. As the Lord led them through the conquest of Canaan, he did not want them to forget what God had done. Why? Because Joshua knew very well that the heart of man, as they forget God, will soon be drawn away from God. And their faith began to wane in the Lord. This is why Joshua said this in Joshua 4, verse 7 through 8. That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask your fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then he shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off from before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. He did not want them to forget what God had done. They're at the crossing of the river Jordan in the flood season. Didn't want to forget. Didn't want them to forget. That's why I set up memorials. That's why he told them don't forget over and over and over and over again. Yet, because of the hardness of man's heart, They did. Eventually, a generation rose up and eventually forgot forgot what God had done. And here's what the Bible says. In Judges chapter 3 and verse 7, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. 
So I want to encourage you this morning, when you find new needs, new problems, new circumstances, don't forget how God came through in the previous ones. Don't forget what God has done for you in the past when you face new troubles in the present. Don't forget the Lord because it will lead you into faithlessness. It will. Don't forget. But it seems these disciples, man, it does, at least to me, they forgot what God had done in the previous feeding of the 5,000. Then take note of this quickly. Not only do we see the encouragement of God's compassion, his encouragement of his knowledge, the discouragement of the forgetfulness of the disciples, but I want to see this, number four, the encouragement of God's patience. Amen right there. Aren't you glad God is patient with you? I'm glad he's patient with me. And no doubt he was patient with these men as well. You see, these men had learned this lesson. They had learned this lesson before. As they've seen this exact, almost exact situation before, yet they forgot. However, in God's good long-suffering and patience, the Lord allowed these men to learn yet again this lesson. I'm thankful God was patient. Look at it with me in verse number 4. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Come on, man. You shouldn't have said that. Verse number 5. And he asked them, How many loaves? Have ye? You know, this is sounding a real familiar of how Jesus answered them before. And they said, verse number five, and they said, seven. He commanded the people to sit down on the ground and took the seven loaves, gave thanks, break, gave it to the disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. This is sounding really familiar, is it not? Verse number seven. And they had a few small fishes, and he, pat, and he blessed and commanded to set them before them. Here's what, it, here's what happened in the feeding of the 5,000. It's very familiar of how the Lord interacted with the disciples and with the multitude. Mark chapter 6, verse 38 through 42. He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say five and two fishes. He commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave to them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. They knew this lesson already. But God had to, again, teach them. Let me ask you a question. If you have to ask someone over and over and over and over again. Maybe you own a company. Maybe you're a boss man at the company. And you've asked someone that works for you over and over to do something. Can I ask you this question? Does that wear on your patience? <laughs> Yes. Somebody said, yes. <laughs> Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. And for most people it would. But aren't you glad our God is not like that? But our God is patient. Our God is patient. The Bible says this in Psalm eighty-six, fifteen: But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. In Psalm 103, 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Romans 2, 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. In Galatians 5, 22 through 23, here is fruit of the Spirit. It is this. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, longsuffering. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but 
is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look, I want us to learn and take this encouragement today that we have a God of patience. We do. I'm thankful. If you don't learn the lesson now, guess what? He'll let you take the test again, all right? But it's best to learn the lesson now. I'm thankful we have a God who is patient. All right, let's look at this lastly, quickly. I want to see this. This other last encouragement is this one, number, number five, the encouragement of abundant blessing, all right? So the encouragement of blessing. Now, what do you mean by this? Well, it's interesting to me as I compare the word basket from the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6 and the word basket from the feeding of the 4,000 here in Mark chapter 8. You see, in Mark chapter number 6, verse 43, they took up, the Bible says, they took up 12 basketfuls of fragments and of the fishes. But this word here is the word kofinos, and this word is referring to more of a wicker basket, more of like, as I picture in my mind, a picnic basket, all right? That's what I picture here, smaller basket for one person, maybe two, but a smaller basket you can carry on your arm. It's a wicker basket, but in verse number 8 of our text here, the word basket is this word. It's spuris, okay? And this is referring to a much larger basket. It would be like a hamper-style basket, all right? It'd be a basket big enough to hold a man inside the basket. It would be the same kind of basket that was used to lower Paul, the Apostle Paul, over the wall as he was escaping the wrath of the Pharisees, when the Bible says in Acts chapter 9, verse 25, Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. So these were a little bit different baskets, all right? And this basket in our text is a quite a larger basket than the one in the previous feeding of the 5,000. So, with that large of a basket that you can fit a man inside of it, would you agree with me that that would be a lot of leftovers? Seven big old basketfuls, all right? Would you agree with me that's a lot of leftovers? Yes. Who here loves leftovers? You love leftovers, especially spaghetti? The second time, I don't know why, it's just better. Amen, all right? If you love leftovers, then you would really love this this miracle here, because you'd have had seven big old hamper basketfuls of leftovers to take home with you. And you've been hog heaven here. This is a huge basket full of leftovers, seven of them, seven of them. But it just proves to me again, it proves to me the abundant blessing of the Lord. And it reminds me of this verse in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, Shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And it reminds me of this principle, and it's this principle of sowing and reaping. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. It reminds me of the disciples here in the minds of the disciples, even the people that these seven loaves really if you look at it in the, in the grand scheme of this miracle, in the grand scheme of these multitude these seven loaves and a few fish was nothing. Nothing. It'd be like us having a fellowship. All, all of us go down here and I say alright I brought the food y'all. 
What do you got, preacher? Oh, I got a can of sardines and a pack of saltines. How many would stick around? One of you. All right. Two of you. Rest of you going home. Y'all going to Cracker Barrel or somewhere else, right? It'd be nothing. That pack of saltines and a can of sardines ain't feeding all of us, okay? It'd be nothing in the grand scheme of things. In their mind, maybe that's what they were thinking. It's just a drop in the bucket. It wasn't sufficient to meet the need of the multi. It's minuscule. It's nothing but God. Listen, God can take what is insignificant and seemingly nothing and do more than we could ever dream or think. But here's the key. The key is this. That little insignificant that you might think is little insignificant. That must be given to him. It must be given to him. You see, the large amount of food that was given to the people, and even with the leftovers that they got after they ate, that large amount far outweighs the little amount of food the disciples gave up. I guarantee you, after they took up seven baskets, laundry basket full of food, they were like, seven loaves of what? I don't remember that. But look at this big old basket, y'all, you know. They forgot about that little bit that they gave up. Maybe that little bit was good enough just for the disciples. When they gave it to the Lord, God used it in more ways they could ever imagine, multiplied it, and this proves again the abundant blessing of God. But it must be given to Him. You just never know what God will do when we freely give it to Him. You never know what God will do. You freely give Him your life. Change it forever. Never know what God will do, how he'll use you. If you just surrender your life to the Lord to do whatever he has for you, never know what God will do. Just give it to him. Give it to him. This miracle, again, it encourages me to give more. Give more of my life. Give more of substance, whatever. Give it to the Lord. Because again, he can take and use it more, more ways and larger ways than we'd ever imagine. And it shows that God can use that and bless us more than we could ever imagine too. Now, I'm not trying to sound like some prosperity gospel preacher. By the way, they don't have no corner on no prosperity gospel either, all right? The Lord says you give it to them, he'll, he'll measure it back to you. As again, it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you. They didn't coin that phrase, Jesus said it, all right? It has to be given to the Lord. Now let God use it in more abundant ways than you ever imagine or ever fathom. And God surely will bless you for that. So let me ask you this question this morning. What is it that you might be withholding from the Lord? I'm not going to put out a list because I believe the Holy Spirit of God does that, pricks our hearts when we hear questions like that. What is it you might be withholding from the Lord? I just want to encourage this morning to give it to Jesus and watch him use it and watch him bless it more ways than you ever imagined. Give it to the Lord. So this feeding of the 4,000 is really an encouraging miracle to me, at least as I read it and I study it uh, for myself. But I see the encouragement of God's compassion. I never want to get over that. I see the encouragement that God knows of his knowledge. He knows we're facing. He knows our need. I'm thankful. I see the encouragement of God's patience. (laughs) He taught these men this lesson once again. And I see the encouragement of God's blessing. Listen, he is more than able to meet the need and go above and beyond we could ever imagine. 
So let this miracle of the 4,000 this morning, let it encourage you. And again, let it bring you closer to the Lord Jesus.